They'll be called to the set in just a moment. Set. Away, Freeman out well. A mighty roar. Samantha Stozer in straight sets is the champion of the United States Open. Here's Aloisi for a place in the he World Cup. He's yeah! Welcome to episode two of The Bench. Uh, we're going to try and cover as much sport as we possibly can in the time that we've got. But I can't do it without the very ravishing co-host, Beck Dow. Wow, that's a big start, David. What's happening with your day? Are you just like everybody else and refreshing your Twitter and refreshing the afl.com.au website? That is literally all I've done. A few nervous... Who, who's the most nervous now? Is it West Coast fans waiting on the uh, Tim Cully recruit? Is it the Essendon supporters waiting on the Dylan Shield deal? 100% the Essendon supporters because I've got some sad news for the West Coast. I don't reckon Tim Kelly's going there. So explain the Tim Kelly sitch. What's well, happening there? Tim Kelly's one of your people. He's yes. a Geelong man. Perth original, has a young family. In the uh, classic tale of AFL footballers traded to interstate, has the, quote, go home factor, end quote. <laughs> Wants to go home to where his family is for support. But unfortunately, when you're an AFL player, Dave, it's not like our jobs. You can't just resign and move home. There's got to be trades and your club's got to be happy with it. So what I, what I don't understand is Geelong, 10 days ago, said to West Coast, we need a top 10 or maybe 11, 12 draft pick for Tim Kelly. That's what we want. That's what we need. Um, and they're offered up picks 22 and 25 or something. That doesn't sound like a top 10 draft pick to me. Stop wasting my time. It's like, uh, just I don't know. I don't get it. Also, I think Geelong's overrating Tim Kelly. He's had one good season. Ooh, you've had that in your uh, bank all day to be a bit controversial. Why not? What? Why is he? Uh, he's finished equal second with Patrick Dangerfield in the best and fairest? Yeah, but one, one first breakout season does not a quality hit AFL player for years, mate, David. Mm. It's a big punt, a big punt. And the other one, which I love the most, how many, it was last week the Essendon supporters were celebrating that they've, got, they've built a premiership list and they've got Dylan Schill and everything's ready to go for 2019. Uh, well, I checked the Essendon list right now. You don't have Dylan Schill just yet. Well, this is one of the really other interesting things about AFL trade, I think, is that players come out and nominate. So Dylan Schill came out and nominated. We got a press release from Essendon saying, Dylan Schill has nominated us for his, you know, club of choice. So what? They still have to get the deal done. I know. I nominated Prince Harry as my husband of choice, but that deal <laughs> didn't get done, did it? No. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, a anyway. lot to be done in the next two hours of trade. So trade is finishes at 8.30, isn't it? Is it 8.30? So we've got about just under 90 minutes for all the <sighs> trades to happen. I want to know what's happening in the room because I, I, I want to know how they negotiate. I feel like there's a lot of long lunches and... Oh, we'll talk about that next week. Oh, the Hogan deal. Oh, we'll talk about that next week. I reckon you and I would be crap at this, Dave. We would not be cut out for this. We'd get too nervous and we would freak out. I would panic and, like, offer everybody I know. I'd just be like, have the whole team. I yeah. I'll take Dustin Munn for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a big show today, tonight. Uh, Corbin Middlemass, uh, ABC Grandstand senior reporter and broadcaster, will join us. Yes. 
Um, we've got Liam Santa Maria, who is uh, NBL reporter and made his debut broadcasting a game over the weekend. And earlier in the week, you and I caught up with legendary Victorian cricketer Kristen Beams to tell us all about what is happening in women's cricket. Uh, remember, you can contact us at 0427JOY949 or you can email us on air at joy.org.au. Put your trades in, maybe. Yeah. Dylan Shield, if you're listening, let us know. Are you going to Essendon or Carlton? Now, you're an Adelaide girl. Uh, Beck, have you gone into work and told your boss that you, you want to go home? You want to seek a trade to another law firm in South Australia? Maybe I should, <laughs> but can I choose which one? Like, <laughs> can right. I say only one in Adelaide, not Port Adelaide? <laughs> like these AFL players, yeah. I don't like it, Dave. They're too precious. Anyway, I'm Beck Dahl. That's my take. And now it's time for our weekly... Sports Wrap. It makes us sound fancy. Dave, I'm going to start the sports wrap this week with a man you might have heard of. His name is Usain Bolt. Share the same birthday with me, 21st of August. Oh, there you go. Wow. Fun there fact. There you go. That's about where the similarities end. Well, he <laughs> was one of the biggest signings in the A-League this year, playing for the Central Coast Mariners. He made a big debut and scored two second-half goals. However, Dave, however, he could depart the Mariners to take up a potential deal in Europe. Word is he's been made a formal no-string-attached offer from a European club on a two-year deal off the back of just that first game with the Mariners. It's rubbish, Beck. It's rubbish. Can I tell you, the two-year deal from the European club is from Malta. Oh. Now, I don't think the Maltese soccer league or football league is that great. So if Usain Bolt wants to go and play soccer there, well, go for it. I suspect wherever Usain Bolt is playing, he's getting paid a lot of coin for the pleasure. Just- now, there's an issue with signing him because he can't be Central Coast's marquee player because he can't really play the game that well. He can run fast. But he also needs to be a part of the A-League because he's going to bring some publicity. People from the world are going to be watching the A-League. And let's be honest, the A-League has had a bit of a lull in the last few years. So why don't they just get the deal done? Well, it's the same thing we were talking about last week with um, with Shane Hill when we were talking about Andrew Bogut joining the Sydney Kings in the NBL, that having that one big international player or international signing can bring huge publicity for the whole game. Like, there's people that will go and watch the A-League just to watch Usain Bolt. Exactly. They've got 10,000 people to a trial game in, on, in the central, yeah. on the Central Coast. All he needs to do is run back and forth up and down the field a few times. That'll keep everyone happy. Just sign him. Well, maybe if Essendon don't get Dylan Schill, maybe they might look at elsewhere, maybe look at Usain Bolt. Oh, there's an idea. That's an idea. I might mm. give Essendon a call. Um, also, the Everest, Beck. That's my horse racing oh, noise. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Um, the Everest, Australia's richest turf race, was run and won on Saturday by Red Zeal. Her second win, this time for a different owner. Oh, trade week. Did, uh, did Red Zeal uh, declare that she wanted to go home? She did, and she went back to her original uh, trade. <laughs> Gary Ablett. Yeah, that's right. But, Dave, I'm not sure if you picked this up in the news, but the race was marred by a touch of controversy. Tell did me. you know this? Yeah, tell me. I think I've heard a bit about uh, it. So the week before it started, 300,000 people signed a petition opposing the Everest Opera House Barrier Draw Light Show. So before a horse race, they pick out of a hat. I assume not a hat, maybe a barrel, which uh, barrier the horses are going to be in. And what they wanted to do was display that up on the Opera House. Go on. Tell me your views. Tell me your views. Are well, they controversial? Yeah, they are. Because I... 
don't have a strong view about the Opera House. I didn't see what the big deal was. But, but that's just my opinion. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But a lot of people were really upset that um, this was an Australian icon, that it's a symbol of the arts. And obviously, horse racing is a very controversial sport. And I understand that. You know, people have a lot of opposition to the gambling and all those the sorts jumps, of things. Yeah, and, yep, yeah totally the concern about animal rights and all those sorts of things. But it really... Um, brought a lot of people out to comment on it. But what was interesting was that despite the fact it was pouring with rain, there was over 40,000 people that attended, which was much more than last year. So many people attended that they had to shut the gates. So despite the controversy, it was a well-attended race. Is there other landmarks in Australia that we could maybe advertise on that's not the Opera House? Like I'm thinking maybe the Big Marino in Goulburn, maybe? Oh, yeah, the Big Pineapple. Yeah, can we broadcast some of the Everest on there, maybe? The Dog on the Tucker Box. Dog on the Tucker Box, let's do it there. I mean, that'd be a small light display, but a display nonetheless. The side of Joy 94.9 Studio. That's a good idea. Maybe we could put the AFL trade up on the side of Joy. (laughs) updates. Uh, We've got a big show coming up, uh, Corbin Middleman. He's going to be up very, very soon. Uh, ABC Grandstand senior reporter, Liam Santamaria. What a great name. NBL.com.au journo. And Kristen Beams, Vic Leggy, a Victorian cricketer, leg spinner. Do you want me to tell you the latest in AFL trade? Go for it. Absolutely nothing has happened in the last five <laughs> minutes we've been talking. Could be the way for the next hour and a half. <laughs> We're going to try and keep you updated right up to eight o'clock to see what's going on Um We'll try to at best. We'll try. Anyway, you're listening to the bench on Joy. Stay tuned. It's Corbin Middlemass up next. Joining us on the line is senior reporter and broadcaster with ABC Grandstand. It's Corbin Middlemass. Welcome to the bench. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Beck. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for joining us. Now, Corwin, you've worked your way up to be a journalist with ABC Grandstand, which is one of the most respected jobs in sports journalism in the country, just after our show, obviously. Um, (laughs) Was being a sports journalist always the dream? Were you a kid with a notebook, or how did this all come about? Yeah, I I probably classify myself more as a broadcaster than a journalist, to be honest. I I probably don't break too many stories, and I'm not too much of a a news hound, but certainly the... um, that the play-by-play calling aspect of um, of the job is something that always appealed to me. Even when I was a, a kid in the back in the backyard, I'd always be sort of commentating my my own games of footy that I was playing, and, and always took a, a particular interest and a fascination in the, the broadcast side of uh, of media and of, of sporting contests in particular. So, um, yeah, cl- clearly it was uh, it was something that I was always keen on, and uh, and whatever the sport was, it was um, yeah, it was something that I that I wanted to do and. After it became probably pretty apparent once I reached sort of my mid-teens that I wasn't going to become uh, a professional athlete like most of us, you sort of think, well, what's the what's the best other way to stay involved? And certainly through the media, um, it's the best seat in the house to to watch the uh, the best athletes go at it. And and Corbin, who's some of the broadcasters that you loved listening to uh, growing up? But Tim Lane uh, was probably one of um, the, the broadcasters I heard the most when I was when I was younger, and, and he was obviously on the ABC at that particular time and. Um, and, a, and a tremendous broadcaster, the way that, that he uh, called the game and how descriptive he was and the language that he used. And um, so he was clearly one of my um, inspirations. So I lived in or grew up in Perth in, in Western Australia and Glenn Mitchell was uh, the broadcaster there at the time. So um, he was a, he was another one and I was lucky enough to, to later work with him when, when I first got to the ABC in, in 2011 when I was still a teenager and, and he ended up teaching me um, an awful lot about the, the craft and, and how to go about it. Uh, and probably in more recent times, um, uh, a lot of American influences, and I'm sure for people that, that hear my work, 
um, that probably pains them a lot of the time to, to hear <laughs> some of the, the phrases and things which I throw out. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fight fan, a big boxing fan. So guys like Max Kellerman and Jim Lampley, who have been sort of calling the fights for years and on, uh, on HBO Boxing, they're probably the, uh, the guys in recent times who I watch a lot of their work. Uh, some big shoes there to be following around in. <laughs> yeah, I guess shoot for the stars, as they say. Exactly <laughs> right. Uh, those all sort of, um, yeah, I guess try to uh, learn as much as I can off of those guys, and I've been lucky enough to, to have a little bit to do with the three of the four of them. So. Wonderful. Now, Corbin, obviously one of the things that came to our attention here at Joy um, was an article you wrote this year publicly coming out. Um, why did you feel like the time was right to write that article then? Yeah, I guess it was something that I felt like I wanted to do uh, for a period of time. And after I'd been able to establish myself a little bit at the ABC, I probably felt that now was the time. I'd been there uh, now seven years. I I got there as a teenager in 2011, and I probably felt that had I done it at that particular time, that it probably wouldn't have had as much cut through, as much impact. And uh, I wanted to be able to establish myself and what I could do in the industry and and have at least ABC listeners know a little more about my work before... um, I was to do something like that and uh, probably with uh, other aspects of my life and the way that it all came together, I, I probably felt it uh, at the age that I am now, sort of as um, sort of in my mid to late 20s, that it was it was probably, um, yeah, the, the perfect time to do it. I, uh, like I said, I always wanted to, um, to do something at some point, but it, it was just a matter of making sure um, that I guess that the time time matched up and it was um was appropriate in that sense and and what were some of the reactions to the articles as from your colleagues or peers or the general public yeah i think a lot of the reaction um was overwhelmingly good uh it probably is a reflection of the time in which we live and that's where look I, I'm, I'm very lucky where um even when i told a lot of my close mates and the guys that i went to school with and the reaction that i got from a lot of them was i wish we knew sort of when you're at school and we could have helped you through it a little bit more and um I guess I kind of felt after a lot of those conversations that I was like, I wish I had a, had have come out ten years ago. But um, at the same time, I'm glad I'm not doing it ten years from now. It was it was um, in I guess to, to sort of give it a more of a, a philosophical view. But uh, it, was, it was a completely different world back then. Uh, I guess people sort of viewed um, have come a long way in a, in a relatively short period of time. And, and I think I sort of experienced that through the reaction um, to my piece. I guess the some of the, the common threads was sort of why um, why do you feel the need to tell everyone um, you know what's what business is it of anyone else why do you, you feel that are you attention seeking what's the reason for, for putting it out there in a public sense and I guess to those people I just say that uh, it's, it's not intended for you you're obviously not the target audience but I, I know myself and what it was like to be um, to be gay as a uh, as a 15 16 year old kid who loves sport uh, and I couldn't see myself reflected in the industry, um, whether that's a broadcast sense or by athletes on the field. And uh, and here we are, uh, as far as the society has moved on, and you're certainly not blazing a trail in society the same way that a lot of people have before us. Um, in the AFL world, you still don't see yourself reflected in the industry where I spend a lot of my time. So um, I know if I was 15 or 16 and, and somebody was out, it, it would it would have given me an awful lot of self-confidence at that particular time. So... Um, that's probably my main motivation for deciding to, to do it. Well, Corbin, I think Dave was jealous because I think he thought he was the only gay man talking about sport <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> I do I do remember my brother, uh, when I did come out, my brother did say, oh, no, there were suspicions, I think, and his wife said, oh, I think David might be gay. I remember my brother going, no, no, he likes footy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, mean, I think that's the sense where I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't want anyone to read it and think, "Oh, well, good on you, mate!" Like you're not you're not the only one out there. And I, I get all of that, and that's um, I don't 
I don't profess to be any sort of trailblazer or anything like that. I, I get that there are other people for me and a lot of people that have done it um, a lot harder. But I, I think, and Dave will probably protest to this as well, that it, I think it just every little bit makes it easier. And when you can see yourself um, reflected in industries that you want to be a part of or um, in, in every aspect of, of Australian life and that the sports world really is playing catch-up to the rest of society in, in that world, there aren't um, as many openly gay men in sport, obviously, for for women, it's a completely different situ- situation. You, um, it's always been a very safe space for um, for homosexual people, and uh, and I, I think that um, the, we, we just haven't had the quite uh, the same uh, reaction or the same thing for for men in sports. So, um, yeah, I guess that was sort of my motivation be, um, behind doing it. And uh, I guess if it can help one or two people, and and as I pointed on in that piece, given how ridiculously high things like the suicide rate are and the rest of it, that if you know you can help a couple of people along the way, then it's, uh, it's certainly worth doing. We're talking with senior ABC grandstand commentator and reporter Corbin Middlemass. Now, Corbin, one of the things that struck me when I was thinking about this was obviously for a long time you were working in sport and, and you weren't out. And one of the unfortunate things about sport is we do still hear homophobic slurs and homophobic language. What was it like as a, as a gay man working in the industry to be hearing those things around you? Yeah, I think as I sort of touched on in the piece, and um, I sort of consider myself quite masculine, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of my colleagues um, probably would too. So I think as a result, they would, um, yeah, it would probably be an environment like you said where you would you would usually hear a lot of those things. Um, I think it's generally from a lot of older people. Like oh, I'm surprised even from the reaction from a lot of my friends and friends that are younger than me, just how um, normalised it is nowadays. And it is conversation. I think that you hear less and less. In the workplace, uh, every now and then um, something can slip through, and, and certainly it makes your ear prick up in a way that, if they weren't speaking about you, you obviously wouldn't have the same sort of reaction. But um, I generally find that, and Dave, and uh, I mean, you, you would you would always sort of find these similar situations where you, you generally sort of surround yourself in very much a safe space. So um, I never really picked my friendship groups if I was sort of friends with someone that was speaking that particular way I wouldn't necessarily warm to them and uh, and so by the time it, it reached the point that I had to come out to um, not just my friendship group but the broader population I felt like the people that I kept company with um, was was a pretty understanding group and lucky enough at the ABC I, I think a lot of the experts um, and people that we come across on a, on a daily basis are, are very understanding and there wasn't too many people to be honest that um, I deal with on a daily basis that I was reluctant to tell or I was worried about the reaction based on any conversations that we'd, we'd had in the past. Well, you're doing a great job. And as you said, if it just changes the life or, you know, one or two people that want to get into sports broadcasting, you're doing a great job. With regards to media, um, in the case of an AFL player coming out, what do you think the media's role in that story will be? Um, I think it's important to acknowledge it for what it is, and it is going to be a, a breakthrough moment for um, whoever the player, whether it's in uh, in AFL and, and particularly in Australian sport, we haven't seen it probably as uh, as much as we have in in other codes throughout throughout um, uh, throughout the world, but um, yeah, I think it should be covered, uh, sort of covered and acknowledged at the time. But it, it certainly shouldn't be something that should be harped on and, and backed over. And uh, and I guess that's in the sense that um, part of the, the motivation, I guess, for for me doing what I've what I've done in this sense, where um, I think I've almost had the perfect reaction to it. I don't feel like I've lost any friends in the process. Everybody. Uh, has been incredibly kind and, and I've had sort of nice notes from different people along the way, but uh, I haven't thought about it an awful lot since on a day-to-day basis, really after that first week, and, and nobody brings it up with me on a regular occasion. And uh, I hope that, um, that I, I guess, if people, uh, as, they, as they always say, Dave, I guess if you know someone in uh, that's been through it and has been through this, you're 
Uh, I think I'm going to get my numbers wrong here, but I think it's something like uh, nine out of ten. So if you if you know someone that's been through something like that, you're ninety percent more likely to to understand what's happening, and ten percent uh, not. If you haven't experienced that or had a friend that's done that, and and that uh, flips sort of vice versa, ten and ninety. If you don't know someone uh, that's been through that similar situation, so uh, I think it deserves um, to be obviously acknowledged at the time. But but once it's been covered, it's been covered. I, I don't think it's, uh, and I don't think society or the media will handle it that way. I think we've come. Um, quite a long way in this particular space. And so I'm confident that whoever the player is that um, decides to come forward and, and speak up, that it will be handled uh, quite sensibly by by the press. So, well, Corbin, switching gears just a little bit, one of the big things that's happening in sports today is obviously the AFL trade. And, and Dave and I were both really interested in a tweet you put out earlier today um, <laughs> saying that the misinformation peddled by clubs and agents has ruined the trade period for you. Um Dave and I have been complete trade nerds. You know, we've been refreshing all day, but it is an interesting point you make about how the the game, I guess, is being played. Yeah, and I think it's changed a little bit too as the years have, have gone on. I used to be exactly the same. I was a, I was a nuffy sort of tuned into to trade radio. I wanted to hear every single piece of goss and information that came through. I guess what I sort of um, what I meant by that tweet today and, and this year, in, uh, as opposed to previous years, I think as it's got bigger and bigger. Uh, and the coverage of it has become more intense. Basically, the coaches or the clubs and the player managers are using that as leverage as such to kind of think, well, if I can tell my story a little bit in the press, I can get uh, the message that I want out across, and then uh, as a result, we can use that to, to try and leverage a deal. Uh, I would have thought in the past that a lot of the information that had come out had been by the work of good journalism, and nine times out of ten, that whatever information came out into the press about a potential move, uh, as I said, nine times out of ten, that, that deal actually unfolds. That hasn't been the case this year. There's been, we've had this drip feed of information where uh, sometimes it's just completely incorrect and has been proven to be that way within the space of less than 24 hours. Uh, and I, I think uh, that's going to be a, a little bit of a problem for the organisers uh, of the trade period where it, they love the content and they love the, the regular um, information which comes through on a daily basis. But what it does, I think, over a, a long period of time is it sort of weathers away at the credibility of your sources and of the information that you're actually providing if a lot of it is proven to be incorrect. So uh, it obviously facilitates the need during the day, gives them a topic to talk about. But in the long run, I sit back and think, um, well, just let me know when the, the trade becomes official because how can you possibly believe any anyone at what they say, whether it's the club or the player manager, because they're clearly running a completely different agenda than what the journalists are to, to try and uncover the, the truth and the story. Well, I said to someone at work today, next year Dylan Shield will definitely be playing for Essendon and Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you believe the press, that's That's, that's exactly right. Up. He's yeah. definitely going to both. So that'll be interesting to watch. <laughs> I think maybe a suggestion to change all this is the teams to put their players up on like Gumtree or something, you know, oh, for yeah. sale, yeah. top 10 but, draft pick or nearest offer. Oh, I like that. Well, I'll one-up you there, Dave. My, I, the, um, the way that we were chatting about it the other day, we thought maybe like a Big Brother-type experiment where if you put all the player managers and the player agents inside the Big Brother house and then as a result you can mic them all up oh, and then we'll have a daily show each night it. and then to report it. To report a trade, you can you can run off to the diary room and make it official. It's a great television product we can watch every night. I would 100% watch that. <laughs> you have solved it completely. Um, this, uh, switching gears again, Corby, you're a master of a lot of information. There's a big summer of cricket upon us. Are you excited about the uh, season or are you a little bit worried about the, uh, the, the lack of batting that the Australians have? Uh, I think it's going to be a long, tough summer for the Australians. We've got a lot of internationals. We've well, got this series, White Ball series against South Africa on home soil, which follows the trip to the Emirates. 
Uh, and then after that, four test matches against India and two against Sri Lanka. So it's really going to test the depth of Australian cricket. We generally perform well on home soil. We have a, a great uh, bowling battery, which, which obviously hasn't been hurt by the suspension. So um, I think a lot of pressure is going to go on the likes of Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins to, to stay on the park and take a lot of wickets because I don't think runs are going to be that easy to come by. <laughs> um, and we're going to be really sort of stretched on our on our depth in shield cricket to um, to try and make sure that we have some, some reverse, reserve batsmen if required. So uh, I think it's going to be a tough summer, albeit the teams that are coming, Sri Lanka and India, have historically struggled here on Australian wickets. Um, so that obviously that, that brings the Australians well and truly back into the game. They know the conditions and they've, they've played well here in the past. I feel like we could probably talk for hours and hours. When it comes to the topic of sport, we can talk for hours. Um, thanks so much for coming on the bench, Corbin. No, thanks for having me, and thanks for giving me uh, the platform and a, a chance to tell my story. And yeah, hopefully, it didn't come across too self-indulgent. I uh, yeah, I appreciate the, the work you guys are doing as well. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. No problems, yeah. our pleasure. Love Cheers. your work. Love your work. That was Corbin Middlemass, uh, ABC Grandstand senior reporter and broadcaster. Coming up next, it is Liam Santamaria. You're listening to the Bench on Joy. The NBL season has started with round one arriving with a bang. To talk us through it, we are joined by NBL reporter and guru Liam Santamaria. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, Liam, let's start with a big one. Melbourne United wins in quadruple overtime. Just just how big was it for uh, for round one? Well, it was insane. Uh, one of the greatest games in NBL history, you'd have to say. Um, only the second time our league's ever seen a quadruple overtime game. And just to, to happen in round one, the second night of this much-anticipated season um, was incredible. And it was a game that went for two hours and 50 minutes, oh, 60 wow. minutes of actual playing time. And guys were just absolute warriors trying to play out the game in those last couple of uh, extra periods and big shot after big shot and, Melbourne were able to eke out a one-point win, but it was a big hat tip to all involved in that game because it was a terrific way to open the season. Now, you mentioned that was second time uh, ever in the hist- NBL history. Now, the first time actually featured our last week's guest, uh, Shane Hill. Mm. Oh, yeah, and he'll tell you all about it <laughs> if, you give him, if you give him the chance. But, yeah, no, he had 40, 42 or 44 points or something that game for the Brisbane Bullets. Uh, way back when, and um, yeah, it was it was another memorable piece of history carved out uh, last Friday night. Well, Liam, Chris Goulding was huge in that game. Who else caught your eye? Well, there were a couple of guys from both teams. One was AJ Ogilvy for Illawarra, um, who has been a premier big man in our, in our league for a number of years, but had a bit of a down season last year, and there was a lot of talk about him looking to bounce back this season, and he was terrific at 15 points, 21 rebounds, which was insane. So it was great to see him back in, in good form. And for Melbourne, um, DJ Kennedy, their new import they've brought in to replace Casey Prather, um, struggled a little bit throughout the preseason, didn't have a great game against Philadelphia, and then didn't play against Toronto with an ankle injury. And he came out and played really well, 21 points and nine rebounds and was a big reason why they got over the line. So uh, there were a couple of guys that jumped out for me. 
Now, one of the most anticipated debuts in NBL history happened over the weekend with Andrew Bogut. Uh, Bogut? Bogut. <laughs> Bogut. Um, <laughs> after playing... <laughs> Humphrey, yeah. <laughs> playing many seasons in the NBA, and he made his debut for Sydney Kings in a disappointing loss to Adelaide. Um, now, the big question, Liam, is he good enough to lead the Kings to a title? Yes, is the simple answer to that. He is. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, and... They've got a star-studded lineup, and they need to find a way to bring it together. And they looked really good for most of that game. Actually, I felt like they had control of it. They were up six points midway through the final quarter, and um, they just let it slip. It was a, a sixteen to two run before they uh, halted that momentum a little bit. But they'd gone from six points up to eight points down, and the game was essentially over with two minutes to go. So was a, um, a terrific effort by Adelaide to, to, to spoil that, that party of Bogus um, debut in the league, but um, but it was a really disappointing way for the, for the Kings to start. But they'll, I think they'll come good. They've got a chance to get revenge over Adelaide early this week, and Bogus certainly looked really good himself. Didn't score a lot, only six points, but 15 rebounds. Had 10 of those rebounds in the first quarter. Four assists, four blocks, like... He's going to have a massive impact this season. Oh, now, I'm a big fan of Andrew Gaze and NBL legend and coach of Sydney Kings, but, God, he looked a bit sad after that game. <laughs> it's only game well, one, Gazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wears his heart on his sleeve, Gazy. He's, uh, he's a walking kind of uh, set of emojis, really. Like, <laughs> it's almost you can, you can keep your eye on him during a game and see. Get your money for it if you're there at the stadium because he's, he's very entertaining and we love that about him. He's just an absolute top bloke and a legend of the game. But he has we've had a couple of disappointing seasons under his reign uh, over the last couple of years, and they really have a team built to win the title this year. And um, they've obviously, when losing their first game is really disappointing. You can see that on his face and. They've got a, a big challenge ahead of them this week. Um, they go to Adelaide and they go to New Zealand, two tough places to win, and they really need to get one or two of those to get their season rolling. Now, Liam, you made your broadcast debut this week. How was that experience? <laughs> I did, yeah. I um, was uh, on the call in Melbourne with uh, Dwayne Russell and Shane Hill, and it was a bit nerve-wracking, to be honest. Um, but it was fun. It was a hell of a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it was good to get through the game and get that that first one under the belt and kind of build from there. But, um, yeah, when the uh, the red light mm-hmm. came on and the, 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 the director had just done the sort of countdown in the headphones, the, uh, yeah, the heart was beating, let me tell you. What's your rehearsal method? Do you watch games and commentate them or do you just play in the backyard yourself and commentate on yourself? <laughs> what's, your, what's your system? Um, I've got to basically just go over my notes. Is how I go about it. I mean, I, I do a lot of research. I watch every minute of every game in our league and, um, you know, speak to a lot of coaches and players in advance of games and then and take a lot of notes and then you know, I break them down into kind of my key points, the things that I think are going to be really big um, elements of the game ahead and I sort of make sure I just go over them and have them in my mind. Um, but it was... It was an interesting experience, just kind of getting. What the thing for me was just getting used to like the new, the different technical equipment that was that sort of threw me off in the early going. Just using different microphones and 
different sort of setup to what I'm used to doing radio. But um, yeah, now that I've got that sorted, um, we'll be able to build from here. Now, tell us the truth. Shane Hill just tells you to uh, follow his lead. Is that is that the truth? Surely that's the case. <laughs> he says, "Just you just play Robin to my Batman." Oh. <laughs> well, we. No, he was great. He was great. We interviewed him last week and we just followed his lead, so <laughs> it seems to be the yeah. way to go. He's very passionate about yeah. basketball. Um, speaking about passion about basketball, where did your love for the game come from? Oh, it came from my older brothers. Yeah, I'm the youngest of, of three boys and um, they got into the game uh, when they were little and so I was around it from a very young age and I was that, that little sibling on the edge of the court trying to get involved and the parents having a hold hold them back so that was me and then yeah just started playing in the backyard and then started uh, you know watching it on TV and grasping at any opportunity to see NBA games and NBL games my parents would take us in to, to watch the Melbourne Tigers watch Andrew Gaze, Shane Hill, all those guys play in at the well Albert Park Stadium and then at, at the old glass house and then the tennis centre and just been around the game for so long and playing it over the years, it's just kind of become part of who I am. Uh, Lee, we would love to chat more later in the season. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Good to chat. That was Liam Santa Maria, NBL reporter and broadcaster. Up next, we talk to Victorian cricketer Kristen Beams. Plus, we will keep you up to date with the AFL trade period. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Bench on Joy. We caught up with superstar Victorian cricketer Kristen Beams, who's on the road to recovery from a serious Achilles injury. She told us all about her injury and what she's been doing during her recovery. How did you go with the commentary? Is that your uh, end of career plan now? Um, I've never done it before and I've never thought about it. I've always been one of those people that has dodged any kind of media. So you're very lucky I'm actually talking to you because... (laughs) I'm always someone who's like, no, there's better people who can do the speaking and all that sort of stuff. So it was sort of one that came out of the blue, but I actually really enjoyed it and it was so much fun. I mean, the Australian women's team are such an amazing group of players and, you know, being able to sort of be there in the thick of it with a great view and and talking about how wonderful they are, it was actually a really enjoyable experience. So I'm not sure if I'm going to make it as a commentator, but I definitely enjoyed it. (laughs) I guess we all grew up in childhood listening to all the commentators we love and we sort of really all always link those commentators to the game of cricket. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know that I could pull off a cream sort of blazer like Ricky <laughs> Benno, but I think maybe I could bring something else in. So I maybe I have to think about that if I actually think about what would I actually wear that would be reflective of the, the cream blazer. Maybe some sort of hat. I'm not sure. I'd have to think about it. <laughs> something that will fit headphones over the top, though. Yeah. That's the problem with media is sometimes, you know, your accessories can get in the way. Maybe one of those caps that sort of got the back flap. What do they call those hats? A legionnaire's yeah. hat. How do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you knew that because I was thinking, oh, no, this is going to fall flat. It's going to be like, what is she talking about? Yeah, I think maybe a legionnaire's hat. You could put the, the headphones over the top. That could be my signature. I'll put them. I'll see. I'll see. Oh, very, very, very sun smart of you, Kristen. Um, they say Achilles is one of the toughest injuries to return from. Just how hard has it been for you? And also, when can we expect to see you back on the field? Well, I really love to be back playing in the Big Bash. So um, it's uh, as a captain, I think you're you're striving to come back, and uh, it's a day by day process for me. So it is. It has been the hardest thing. I think it probably has been harder for me, also from the point of view of being a little bit older. I think. 
if I was 22 and not 32, then I think it, you know, I probably think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to come back and play for another 10 years. But I think being a little bit older, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to play for. So I've probably had that that awful R word of retirement that's popped up a little bit for me. But um, look, it's all going really well. Uh, the hardest part's been learning to sort of walk and run again. Um, which are things you probably take for, for granted. But I've just started on a skipping rope, which I get an amazing sense of achievement, and my teammates are high-fiving me all at the moment. So it's been pretty amazing that they've come on this journey with me a lot and have been really supportive, knowing that it's a pretty tough thing. And how important has it been to just to get back within training? Oh, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been massive. I think you whether you play for the most amazing team like I do or not, I think you you do genuinely feel like a little bit of an outsider when you're, when you're not out there playing and um, I always like to think that I'm someone who kind of leads by example. I'm, I'm not one of the fittest players but I'll nearly throw up every time I do a running session and um, it's been probably really difficult for me being injured because there's so many things I can't do and I can't experience with the girls and, and that's definitely been the hardest part but as I said they've been incredibly supportive and it's Probably one of the reminders from a, I guess, the wonderful thing about playing sport is that you end up with this, like, family. So my teammates have been the best family and have definitely helped me get through this, which um, I'm grateful for. That's awesome. Well, speaking of one of your families, the Melbourne Stars, how's the team shaping up and what should we be looking for from them, from them this year? Oh, look, it's, it's shaping up really well. So it's a, it's a really exciting time for us. We, we've, we've recently signed Holly Ferling to had played cricket for Australia and she's a fast bowler and I think she's going to give us um, something new that we haven't had. Um, we've got Annabelle Sutherland who opened the bowling as a 16-year-old, which I think is the most amazing thing. I, I don't know that I knew how to tie my shoelaces when I was 16, but she's an incredible young player and I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do. She's about a foot taller because they grow so quickly. Um, and we've got players like Erin um, Osborne, who was, our, who was our best player uh, last season all round of off Austin and we've also got Lizelle Lee who's re-signed with it who is I think in the top three ranked batters in the world so I think the team's shaping up really nicely and we've got a really nice balance and you know we've, we've been disappointing if, if I'm being honest we've, we haven't made the finals yet in this competition and we're certainly hoping that, that this year's the year. We are talking cricket with Victorian League spinner Kristen Beams on the bench on Joy. Now, Big Bash cricket in general has been able to magnify cricket again and make it popular to sort of like the younger generations. How important is this for women as well, like girls watching the Big Bash and trying to, you know, take up the game of cricket and maybe, you know, it might pass all the way up to the Australian cricket team. How how important is it for, for the girls to watch? Oh, I think it's massive, and I think the best part about it is that AFL and cricket are both in amazing places for, for females, and there's great opportunities for them that, that young girls can actually come through, play both sports and have the opportunity to play at the peak, which I think is incredible. And I, I think one of the other things that I really love and, and Cricket Victoria have done a, an amazing job at it is that they've got this um, they've got this program called Social Sixes at the moment, which I really, really love. And so for people who love watching the Big Bash but haven't really played cricket before, there's actually programs that, that you can be a part of now. It's social, it's informal, it's a little bit skill-based, but it's mostly just playing with all people the same ability as you. And I think cricket's never been in that place before. If you sort of wanted to try cricket, you had to sign up at a cricket club, wear white, play cricket all day on a Sunday, which people really don't want to do. And I think it's becoming a sport more and more flexible to what people want. And um, I think the Big Bash has been a real catalyst for that.
That's brilliant because white's not really my colour. So if I could play in pink, I would be really happy to do that. I thought you were going to say green, like Melbourne Stars green, but I don't, yeah, I suppose pink's okay too. Green would have been my second choice. That's a really good answer. <laughs> Pink is normally when you've left your red hat in the washing with your whites oh, and that's what yeah, happens. That's, that's what it's done to me. It's a personal story, that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christian, you mentioned that, you know, it was it's, you know, bringing more women and girls into the game. When you were a young girl yourself watching cricket, were there women that you could look up to or how did you get your inspiration to want to play cricket at the highest level? No, not at all. I didn't know any women's cricket until I was basically a teenager. So... I think I was really lucky that my parents never told me that girls didn't really play. So I was one of those people that kind of was like, oh, cool, I'm just going to play in the Australian team and didn't realise there was a women's team and a men's team. So I actually grew up, I grew up in Tasmania. So David Boone was like my absolute idol. So I just wanted to have a cut shot like David Boone. I didn't want to have a moustache like David Boone, but I definitely wanted to play like him. And so he's from the same town as me. He's from Launceston in Tasmania. So he was my hero. So one of the things I love about the game now is that girls don't have to have that. They can choose to have a male or a female. It doesn't actually matter who their role model is because they're actually much more visible to them, which I think is so cool now. I would have loved to have watched women play cricket on the TV and it just didn't happen back then. So a lot of people grew up, uh, you know, wanting to be a leg spinner like Shane Warne. It, now, do you think that some girls watching cricket now want to be a leg spinner like Kristen Beams? No, definitely not. <laughs> but only because I probably have the angriest bowling face of all time. Um, <laughs> because whether I like it or not, every time there's an article or whether there's any kind of vision of people playing cricket, my angry face seems to find its way there. And I really don't know why, and I've really tried to mellow out. But I think I've, I said passion, but it looked angry. So I don't, I think that if young girls were watching that face, I think they would think to themselves, I'm not sure that's for me. I think it's something to aspire to, the resting cricket face. <laughs> well, I've, I maybe you should Google and see how bad mine is first. But I like that you're defending me. I think that's important. <laughs> Always a positive. So, Christian, they say leg spin is one of the the hardest or the most difficult art in cricket. Um, Why did you take up leg spin? Well, it's really funny one. I actually wanted to be a fast bowler like Glenn McGrath, so I thought I had this perfect Glenn McGrath action that I used to practice in the backyard. And I had a coach that said to me, I think you should consider spin because I don't think you're going to get any taller. And they're actually right. I'm I'm actually only about one or two centimetres taller than what I was when I was, like, 11. So I just haven't grown. So... I'm really glad that that conversation was had with me. And then I actually can't bowl off spin. So I I started trying to bowl spin, and the only way I could do it was to bowl leg spin. Um, but I was also very lucky. That was when Shane Warne was really um, at the height of his powers. So it sort of was a little bit cooler that I wanted to bowl like Shane Warne. But <laughs> in reality, when I tried to bowl off spin, I threw it. So <laughs> it wasn't good for me. They say leg spin, uh, you have to be hit for a few runs before you uh, actually become a master of it. Was that true in your case? Yes, and it's, and it's sort of heartbreaking because you try to be really consistent and I used to hit the top net, the side net, every other net um, and it was a really hard thing to do as a kid and I think as an, as an older player now, I've, my motto has always been to, to kind of be what people say that you're not. So I think I try to be the most consistent leg spinner going around because I think people are so quick to say oh you know they always leak runs or they take some wickets but they bowl some bad balls so 
um, I just that's always been my little motto and I've sort of stuck to it. Well, look, Kristen, we're about to approach the summer. We're about to approach the season of cricket. Um, if we were talking to you in, you know, four months' time, what do you hope to have achieved over the over the summer? Oh, I would love to say that we've won a big bash title. That would be amazing. But um, if it can't be a big bash title, I think just I would like to say probably some, um, some Victorian-based teams and Melbourne teams playing some really good cricket. And I'd love to see more Victorians playing cricket for Australia. So I'd love to see some of our younger players do that as well. So I'd take that any day of the week. Well, you've got Beck and my support, and we hope that the Stars and the Vicks uh, dominate this cricket season. Uh, that's all we have time for. We wish you all the best in the comeback from injury, and we'll be watching you closely once you return. Thanks for talking cricket with us on the bench. Oh, thanks so much for having me. That was Victorian cricketer Kristen Beams getting us excited for Victorian cricket this year, men's and women's. You're listening to The Bench on Joy. Episode two of The Bench is nearly done and dusted. The it's Bench been a big one. Beck and Dave. Um, the trade? Anything, any news? Well, Dave, would you like me to fill you in what's happened with the trade while we were talking to Kristen Beams? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> We thought being on air during the last hour and a half of AFL trade yep. was going to be just minute by minute action chat. Literally not one thing has happened while we've been on air. But mind you, there's been a, a fair bit of traction today, though, in the trades. Lots of, lots of trades. How many people have got here? Probably 10 or so. Um, big one is Jesse Hogan leaving the Melbourne Demons and heading over to the Fremantle Dockers. Well, I think Frio full stop. I mean, they had to give up Lockie Neal to the Brisbane Lions, who's a big loss for them. But they've got Jesse Hogan and Rory Lobb from GWS, which I reckon are massive ins for them. The other thing, Melbourne's picked up Stephen May and Kay Collajazny from Gold Coast Suns, which just is one more nail in the coffin that is the Gold Coast Suns. They'll be gone in five years, Dave. Write it down. And I words. totally agree. And I'm in all support of that because uh, football on the Gold Coast is a waste of time. Um, my boy Jackson Thurlow from the Cats, he's gone. Couldn't never really crack the game for the Cats. He had one really good season before he did his ACL and then he's sort of really just been a fringe player the last two seasons and he's heading to the City Swans for pick well, seven tie. Well, and the other really big one today was Chad Wingard, who's one of Port Adelaide's best players who's gone to Hawthorne for Ryan Burton, which is an interesting trade. And a lot of Hawks supporters, I think, are really disappointed by that. And there's been a lot of talk that Chad Wingard is devastated that Port Adelaide were even shopping him around. And what about the uh, the news of Port Adelaide's medical team having to fly over to Las Vegas to do a like a medical on Ryan Burton where he was holidaying? I know. You know you're doing all right. They must be pretty keen if they're going to... What like, did he just put down the beer by the yeah, pool? And I know. I know. What happens like you're just on the roulette table and you're just having a couple of drinks and all of a sudden, oh, okay, I can bend my knee. That's I can right. jump. I can stretch. You know, I can do all that. I mean, sure, why not? I don't know how it all works. I really don't. Um, so we've got 32 minutes and 45 seconds or something like that left of the trade period. Been a hectic hour. So much happening. <laughs> a couple of people have walked into the, uh, what are they called? The entry room or the deal room or something like that? The uh, I think it's just called the, oh, the deal room. The yes. deal room. Yeah. And they reckon Port Adelaide are finishing up for the trade yeah, period. They've so. gone home. They're going out for dinner. I wonder where they're going. Probably Dockland, somewhere in yeah, the Dockland. Yeah, yeah, maybe a few dumplings or something mm. like that. Um, I tell you what's not great at the moment is that what's happening in Dubai in the second <sighs> test between Australia David. and Pakistan. It's not good. Pakistan made uh, 282, which I think is a really good effort from the Australian bowlers, but it's all gone downhill from there. What's the scores? Australia is uh, 7 for 108. 
trailing by 174 runs. So not looking good. Our top scorer so far, Aaron Finch, on 39, which is nothing to be proud of, quite frankly. And uh, in, in his second test match, he's not out at the moment. Have you learnt the uh, the pronunciation of uh, Manus Lubachay? I think it's Lubachan. Lubachan. But we'll find out before next week. I'd like to know that. Yeah, we've got a, uh, uh, Lucy Zelich, the uh, SBS commentator. Actually, she be would right be able to help us. Uh, anyway, episode two is done and dusted. We've had uh, ABC Grandstand senior reporter and broadcaster Corbin Middlemass, which is great. Spoke about his uh, article from earlier in the year about coming out. Yeah, fabulous story. We had uh, Liam Santamaria talking to us all about MBL and his broadcasting debut, which was fabulous. It's great, yeah. I think basketball, it's right now in Australia, basketball is so... Like, it's, it's back to being sexy again. I know. I'm excited. I know. I know. Bringing sexy back. And we also had Victorian leg spinner Kristen Beams uh, talk to us. Uh, she's coming back from a nasty, nasty Achilles injury. Um, so... Best of luck to her. I know. They reckon the Achilles injuries is one of the worst things, what worst injuries you can have. Really? I've torn my calf muscle twice crossing the street, Dave. So, <laughs> you know, I'm one for injuries. Um, you can follow us on social media on our Twitter feed. It's uh, The Bench on Joy. That's the handle. Um, you know, we just give a little bits and pieces throughout the week. That's good. Uh, Get in of, touch. Bit of jokes. Bit of lols. Well. Yeah, we try They're usually best. me rather than you, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's all done and dusted. Thanks for being the ravishing co-host that you always are. I'm Dave Beckett. You are.